All right, welcome to another edition of Sounding Off on Soccer. I'm very excited about this uh, this podcast because this is John Krasinski, by the way, Pittsburgh Soccer Now. Uh, we are in World Cup fever time. World Cup uh, is is really in the, we're in the middle of that first wave of group stage matches. And actually, by, by the time you listen to this, will probably be the last day of all the group stage matches for the first go around. And then the second day, uh, the first time we're going to get to see the second wave uh, of group stage matches, group stage matches. Sorry, I'm excited uh, to talk about that. The United States men's national soccer team will be taking on England. We're so excited about that. Um, and without further ado, I'm going to bring on a couple special guests, uh, a former United States men's national team uh, head coach, John Kowalski and Peter Smith, who's from the Pittsburgh area, who actually had an opportunity to play uh, for the United States national men's team. So um, we're going to bring them both on and look forward to this uh, exciting, uh, fun conversation about the U.S. men's national team, how far they've come and some of their experiences back in those those early days when it was definitely a primitive time for U.S. soccer. All right. Uh, this is John Krasinski with me, Peter Smith and John Kowalski. Um, both of you are Pittsburgh soccer, uh, you know, legends, if you will. And uh, I appreciate having you on this podcast. I'm really excited. Peter and I have been kind of communicating back and forth. And John, I wrote, wrote you know, obviously I'm real familiar with who you are, but I wrote a feature about four years ago uh, about, you know, your 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 journey you're from Poland to Pittsburgh and and what you've accomplished in terms of the soccer um, coaching ranks. But but this is the World Cup period time. We're all talking about it. We're all excited about it. So, of course, the United States men's national team is uh, at the forefront of the conversation for many of us. And I just just thought it'd be great to have you both of you on and to talk about that. And then talk about some of your experiences. But uh, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for having us, John. Appreciate it. Look forward to it. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, so, John, uh, first of all, how, how how are you doing now? I mean, is it must be enjoying retirement, if you will, or well, you're never truly retired. It, however, I got recruited to coach uh, two teams for SCS uh, United, okay. which is a club. ODP and also helped out with uh, North Allegheny High School boys soccer. So I got myself a little bit to a full time uh, uh, in my retirement, but I'm enjoying it. You know, so uh, so all good. You know, because of soccer coaching. Well, it must be nice to provide the uh, you know that insight and perspective without the the pressure of having to be like be there all around the clock, that sort of thing. I, I, I understand there's some couple other coaches in the area too, who, who have been helping out some of the high school programs and whatnot. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah. What, what was that experience like for you this, this year with the uh, North Allegheny? I'm just curious real quick. Well, a little bit different because I'm kind of working in a capacity as a advisor, mentor, uh, uh, you know, to the head coach. And uh, kind of try to support his ideas, and uh, uh, you know, kind of refine, help him out with his ideas, and uh, you know, things. Uh, we played well. Uh, we did okay. Uh, we had a winning season, but we didn't qualify for the playoffs. And every game, including against Seneca Valley, who won the state championships, we lost in overtime by one goal and uh, another game just by one goal. So we were right there, you know, but we just couldn't get it over the hump, okay, to provide some wins. A yeah, little the, bit maybe like the U.S. national team. Yeah, the fine line in uh, quad A soccer, but we can talk about that another time. But yeah, in the United States uh, men's national soccer team, John, you were there really in in the during a real formative time uh, for mm -hmm. that program. And, you know, you came to the United, actually, well, talk a little bit about your journey. Obviously you were involved in the seventies and in your, in, you know, at the college level, but then kind of worked your way in and became, came to Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, kind of going back, uh, Francis Lewis high school in New York city in the uh, mid sixties, uh, a uh, war in Vietnam, civil rights, uh, college at the university of New Haven, uh, Joe Macknick, who's the uh, uh, referee and rules analyst on uh, on uh, broadcast right now on right. Uh, Fox Sports, 
uh, my coach. We continued. Uh, we had some uh, winning, terrific uh, run-up uh, with New Haven and third-place finish, uh, gained some experience coaching New Britain Falcons, a Polish-American team in New Britain. And we won five or six uh, uh, championships, got familiar with the ethnic groups uh, very much. Before that, I played in the German-American League and coached uh, a little bit over there as well. Got familiar a lot more with the ethnic uh, backgrounds, you know, whether the uh, Greek Americans, Italian Americans, German Americans, uh, you know, or, or Haitians or Caribbeans. So I got familiar with some uh, different levels of uh, ethnic uh, level of play. Uh, then I found myself in the MISL uh, in Cincinnati Kids uh, as a player assistant coach. Pete Rose was the owner. Okay, so again, some great conversations and uh, with Pete Rose, uh, <clears throat> you know, so a baseball player. Okay, for new audience of people who maybe don't know Pete Rose. There was, there, it was a good thing there was no casinos in Cincinnati at the time, I guess, for you, right? Well, uh, good thing for Peter, you know, maybe, maybe if casinos were there, he would have been uh, in that baseball. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that, but. Uh, so then uh, back and forth to Hartford, to Pittsburgh, and then I uh, had a successful career with uh, Pittsburgh Spirit. We were actually outdrawing the Penguins by significant numbers, uh, by about 4,000 people. Uh, the Bartolo family with the uh, 49ers, Penguins, Mario Lemieux, they closed us down. Uh, Penguins took off, uh, you know, as they're doing very well still okay, since that time. I jumped around a little bit different places. Robert Moore's uh, college changed to Robert Moore's university, uh, then different national teams. And in around 86, uh, after the uh, Pittsburgh spirit uh, that ended in 85 for me, uh, and Peter uh, Smith actually participated in practice with us uh, quite a bit. Uh, Sean Shepard and Greg Day from the young local players who are still in high school. We are developing developing, uh, developing them to be uh, players for the future. And uh, uh, eventually Peter got to play professional soccer. And then when we had a chance to start preparing the team between 88 and 89, uh, for the uh, first uh, indoor soccer championships, Peter was picked for that team, but we were also preparing the team with a full national team, with uh, you know players like uh, uh, Bruce Murray and Peter Vermees and Tad Ramos and John, Har John Harks uh, at that time, uh, Mike Windishman, uh, Eric Eichmann, uh, among others. Peter jumped in with some other names. Uh, and uh, anyhow, uh, uh, we were testing. And in order to promote the team for indoor games, we also were playing exhibition outdoor games. And eventually in uh, 89, we went to the world championships for indoor soccer. And then later I served in a kind of as a link on two or three different occasions uh, as a head coach with the full US national team. Uh, coached many, many players uh, that played in the 1990 World Cup. And then, uh, again, provided a little bit of a link to the 94. Right. And we can talk more specific uh, as I'm giving you a lot of uh, potential questions and informations over here. Well, what, what was that like for you? Like, what was the process of, like, how did they identify, how did you get identified to be, you know, to come help? Like, the spirit, uh, you know, obviously folded and that ended. Um, there was, was, was the, what was it like at the time in terms of the coaching, um, landscape across the United States? And, and, you know, I'm sure that you had good connections from your experiences, but, uh, to, for the U S soccer federation and for you basically took on all these different roles. It seems like, you know, you did futsal, you, you helped with the U S men's national team. I mean, what was the dynamic like, like for the <clears throat> federation at that time? Well, <clears throat> There's two parts to it, maybe three parts to it. Uh, one, I uh, the teams that I coach uh, rather played good quality soccer. We moved the ball, we moved well off the ball. Uh, wasn't a, a traditional way of playing uh, at that time. The style of play hit the ball down the field and uh, and press a little bit like hockey, dump the puck in a deep end and then press. Okay, we were actually uh, passing, moving, passing, moving. Uh, a little bit based on uh, total soccer concept that mm -hmm. every player sure. had a role 
when we had the possession of the ball and uh, and I still coach on, on those bases and every player had a role when we lost possession of the ball and uh, uh, you know just became you know simple organization after that and since uh, that was that first part that we played quality saga obviously uh, people were uh, observing that and uh, the director of coaching for US uh, soccer federation was uh, Walter Chizovich and he observed that I was doing some things a little bit different or quite different <laughs> than uh, uh, some other coaches. And he felt that my style of uh, coaching, my personality, and what the administration, which is the third part or the second part, what they were looking for, uh, would fit uh, in well to combine uh, the product, uh, which was uh, hopefully a successful soccer team. And uh, I guess I provided uh, 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 during that segment that link that uh, uh, actually made a transition, both indoors and outdoors over a short period of time, that we were able to put uh, a successful soccer team that actually played well and uh, we got the results as well. Yeah, uh, Peter, I'd like to bring you in on this conversation. So, you know, you're at that point, you know, you're you're just in kind of the end of your college years and John has become, you know, be doing all this coaching at the U S soccer level. How do you get involved? Uh, well, the original start to this whole thing was John drafted me by the spirit and by doing it when I was 17. Right. So by doing that, I basically, that basically allowed me to so-called graduate from high school early from St. Clair USC and I, I trained with them for a half, half a season. So that kind of got me into uh, – it got me at a totally different level, number one. I'm training with a professional team. The year previous to that, I was spent in England playing for Hull City's U18, under-18 team. And I stayed with Chris Wright's parents, his mom and dad. His dad was, wow. his dad was an ex-Bobby. And as we all know, Chris became the CEO of Minnesota United. And he was the president of the Timberwolves. Um, so John – got me on the map. I mean, my father was a very good player, very talented player. And he, my dad was my coach. And I really, I mean, I played for the local teams. I played for Beeling when I was young. And then I played for the upper St. Clair teams, but I really was just, it was kind of like, uh, like Marin, Marv Marinovich only without the bad stuff. You know, I, I really trained. I got almost all my training with my dad and just me and him training and playing. And John gave me the opportunity to, he put me on a whole new platform. That led to me being recognized by a coach named Jay Miller, who ended up coaching the U-17 national team, and he was a coach at University of Tampa. And Jay, John Kowalski, Walt Chizowitz, Jay Hoffman, Lothar Siander, Siggy Schmidt, they were all – Bob Gansler. Those were the seven, eight coaches that coached all the youth national teams, the Olympic team, the national team. So John got me to – got me out of – rose me above – let's say the masses and got, got me identified by Jay Miller. And then when I went to Tampa, I played with a bunch of guys that all had youth national team experience, Olympic team experience. And then being at Tampa, I trained, I actually played against the national team and team America when I was 20 and train and Alcas Panagoulis was the coach then. And he saw me after the, he saw me and a couple other players. And after the game, he said, Hey, you, you, you train with us tomorrow. So I got to train with the national team when I was only 20. Um, and a lot of that was being in Tampa because Tampa had the national team training there and NASL teams. Um, so John gave me the push and then I was able to run with that a little bit. And then when I graduated from Tampa, I was drafted by the Minnesota strikers and the Tampa Bay rowdies. And I played each summer in a thing called the U S Olympic festival. And at the time, if you wanted to be on the, yeah, if you want to be on the Olympic team or be on the national team, you had to play in that. And so if you look at the 90 roster, the 94 roster, all those guys were there. And so then John got me my start. And then I kind of played through with Tampa and the Olympic festivals. And then I got drafted professionally. And then, then that coincided with John getting the U.S. futsal team and then becoming the coach for the, for the full team, the men's national team. Um, and so I remember that I went on a trip to Brazil um, and we, we did pretty well there. And, I, and I, I proved that, say, that I can play at that level with those guys and contribute to the team. And then when he got the full team, I will always say this to everybody, is that always be fit, always be healthy, and always have your passport ready to go, man. Because every time John gave me a shot, he'd get me on the main list. I'll send you a list that I have, and there's like 25 players, and they ended up picking 12. And Ricky Davis had a knee surgery. John Stolmeyer had an ankle surgery. Hugo Perez had an injury. They, these guys are stars on the team. And so 
as that as those guys started, John Harks went to, to England. So Love as those quotes, guys that quotes in the back of your mind there, right? <laughs> Isn't it? So I was always an alternate. I was an alternate yeah. for two U.S. Olympic festivals. My dad called Lothar and said, "Hey, um, you know, my son was injured. He wasn't able to try out for the for the West team. I ended up playing on the West team for Ziggy Schmidt, Steve Sampson, and Ralph Perez." So. You know, and with John, John always just he always said, "Listen, just be ready." He goes, "I'm going to have you on the list, but we're going to see how this thing plays out." And it worked out for me. Hugo Perez, who's probably one of the most talented players in U.S. history, had a, had shin splints, and so I took his spot on that. That was how I was able to play the one game for the U.S. for the men's national team against Chivas in L.A. Is Hugo was hurt? He was with the team, but he was hurt. And John said, "Hey, you're going to get your chance." So he brought me in. I mean, I could we could talk for an hour just about that game, you know, the yeah. experience of that game, and um, a lot of talent you know. on the other side too. Yeah, I mean, as it turned out, John, I sent that to him during the. I'll say this one good thing about the pandemic is, I never had a roster or an article about the game, and I was like, I was sick of telling people about it. So I said, "There's an article about the game. I just need, it was in Soccer America. I need to get it." And I I found it. My dad had saved it, and I found it in this old folder. And it, it described the game perfectly. I mean, we went to warm up in the game. And as we were – well, the first thing, when I walked into the hotel the first time, I saw a couple of guys I played with, Eric Eichmann and Jimmy Guevara. Johnny, you jump in at any time. Um, as I was sitting there talking to them, uh, you, know, we're, you know, and I was getting familiar with everybody. I knew everybody who played against each other, but there's only a couple of guys I played with. Um, and as we were going through this whole process – I remember Eric saying to me, he goes, Hey man, he goes, you, he goes, you're going to be ready for this game in two nights. I go, what do you mean? And he goes, he goes, you're, you're never going to have, have an experience like this ever, man. And then he just got a smile on his face and he goes, when you play for the U S national team, every game's an away game. And I was, they all started laughing and I kind of got what they meant. Mm-hmm. But when we got to the game, the stadium was two, it was two hours before kickoff hour and a half. The stadium was packed. It was crazy. Like it that was, was in, that was in Santa Ana. Is yeah in L.A. right, mm-hmm. and it was rocking. It was like rocking, like you're like Put this is eight thousand people in an eight thousand seat stadium. Yeah, and it's wow. the one oh, thing that's I'll like say that's is like I, Highmark yeah. Stadium with seven thousand, eight thousand people, something like that. Yeah. It was yeah. it was more than it, it was right. probably like yeah like a, that's like a little junior college stadium, but it, Chivas and Club America played a lot of games there because the heart of heart of uh, Latino L.A. and but the one thing I remember, the first thing I remember the game is when we went out to warm up, I was looking at the sidelines and there was LA SWAT team guys there with German shepherds, you know, on the sidelines. I'm like, okay, you know, they're being super protect. And then as we go out, not there, even a CONCACAF with- game down in one of the <laughs> yeah. other places. Yeah. But as we're going out to warm up, I remember walking out with Ricky Davis and I looked at Ricky Davis. And I was like, man, that guy plays for the cosmos and he's such a good guy and he's super welcoming to me. And, you know, and the guy played so many times for the U.S. team. He was the captain of the team. John, obviously, you know, he was the cap. He was the, the captain on the field also. But as we were going out to the field, I remember holding the ball, and everybody's face changed, and it was like business. And we went out as, after about five or ten minutes of warming up. I remember people yelling, "Get off! Get off! Get off!" And the crowd was getting too crazy, so they just pulled us off. They pulled us off the field during ten minutes of the warm up, straight to the locker room to calm everybody down. You know, so. They say it was a friendly. It wasn't. I mean, it was an amazing atmosphere. And that next, that Chief, well, I'll leave you off with this one. That Chivas team had Javier Guire, who's the coach at Mallorca now, and he's coached Mexico. De La Torre, Javier De La Torre, coached Mexico also. These guys were all the stars of the 86 Mexico team, you know, when they hosted the World Cup. So there was a guy named Benjamin Galindo, who was a world, you know, super famous Mexican player. He was their captain. So it was an amazing experience. And it wouldn't have, like I told John, I said, there's a lot of coaches that helped me and I played for, I counted the other day, I played for eight guys that you coached any various U.S. US national teams, Thomas Rongen and Jay Miller, Ziggy Schmidt, all those guys. But John's the one that pulled the trigger and gave me the experience of a lifetime and something that and you put on, the, you know, you put, you put on that U.S. Jersey, man. I, I was talking to Eddie, I'll leave you off, I'll leave you off this one. I was talking to Eddie Redwanski who was, who was in town when he was coaching Clemson's women's team. And he was telling me because he trained when I, that one time I trained with the national team, he was a starter on the team in Tampa in 85 and they played Switzerland two days later. And then he was telling me about some of his experiences and he goes, no man. He goes, I was on that U S team when we lost to Costa Rica and we got knocked out. I said, I didn't even know you were on that team, man. And then he said, I played against England. This is the good one. He played against England at the Coliseum with Gary Lineker and all those guys a month before the world cup, because that was supposed to be a prep game for the world cup, but we were already out. He goes, no, I played against England. He goes, I should have scored. And I said, man, it's amazing. You know, I didn't even know some of you had some of those experiences. And 
he made a great point. He goes, listen, man, he goes, if you put on that U.S. jersey a hundred times or one time, he goes, he goes, it's something no one can ever take away from you. You know, so, you know, I told John, if I win the Powerball, he's number one on the list. <laughs> well, and, and, and I'm praying yeah. that he was the big one. <laughs> John, you, I, I saw a quote from you. I used a quote from you and you talked about, you know, those days and like, coming back from Brazil and and you had to make sure you had all your uniforms, guys were exchanging jerseys and stuff like the budget, the resources, you know, you, it was like you had those experiences on one hand. And I, I would love to hear what you had to say to that team before going out to the field, uh, you know, against the kind of a wild and crazy crowd. Um, but, but also just, just, just working with a shoestring budget and just kind of limited resource that must've been really challenging, wasn't it? Well, the players were getting ten or fifteen dollars per game, uh, uh, you know, at that time. Okay, and uh, coaches were getting, I think, something like hundred and fifteen dollars. We were losing money, leaving our regular jobs, and so was everybody else. So, uh, uh, U.S. Soccer Federation, you know, back in those days, uh, you know, was one office first at the Empire State Building, one room, you know, basically office and, and a little closet with Cord Lamb and they want to expand and make it bigger. So went to a two room office in a Viking hotel somewhere near Kennedy Airport. Okay, and uh, one of the uh, regular uh, rooms was, you know, like the receptionist room and secretary and uh, Anya Trackenberger, who was the uh, athletic trainer, equipment manager, travel manager. And we just got two sets of uh, dark colored jerseys and light colored jerseys, uniforms, 18. Okay, we went on a trip to Brazil, and uh, that was in February, I believe. We came back. Rudy Glenn, who was on that trip, uh, U.S. national team player, Chicago staying, and all of that stuff, decided that he's going to uh, retire. Okay, so he threw his uh, shoes with the laces over the crossbar, and they wrapped up, and he traded his jersey. Uh, oh, no, he decided to keep his jersey. Another player, Art Kramer, who was on that trip, decided to change jerseys with a Brazilian player who played with a full Brazilian national team and Olympic team at that time. So now we are back, and uh, instead of returning the full set of uniform, we returned the, uh, you know, to the equipment manager, uh, uniforms minus those two jerseys. John, and- John, I have to tell you, I did it too, man. I got a Brazil jersey. I kept the U.S. <laughs> jersey, and I got a Brazil. I think the I original saw that. Brazil. Yeah. I think I saw that Brazil jersey. I think he shared that one with me, Peter. Um, well, and, and, 30 uh, years uh, after the fact. As soon as we came back, the U.S. women were going on that trip. And they didn't have uh, another uniform, you know, for the, uh, and the uniforms were passed from one team to another team to another team. And uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, Soccer Federation, uh, a gentleman by Al Miller, uh, who coached the U.S. national team as well, he was the kind of a general manager for the national teams. And uh, uh, anyhow, he ripped into me uh, uh, not having uh, control of the team. How can I do that? I broke the set. Uh, and uh, the uh, national team uh, women are not going to be able to go on a trip because they don't have the uh, two jerseys. So those were the days of uh, the U.S. national soccer hey, team. Where yeah. They, were, and players we're... almost have to buy their own uniforms. What I what I what I'll throw in there is well, I remember when we met at JFK, and obviously my antenna was up. This is the first experience for me to be with all these guys and have this U.S. stuff on and everything, which was amazing. And a guy pulls out. I remember as we were like checking in, like sort of like a banged up Toyota pulls right in front, you know, right as we're all kind of heading into the airport to check in. And a, a little guy goes to the hatchback of his car, gets a bag of balls, brings it in, hands it hands these training balls to John, and they didn't look like brand new balls, by the way. Hands them to John. They talk for maybe 10, 15 minutes, and then he takes off. And I'm just sitting there hanging out. Whatever, and I, later on, I said to John, I go, John, who was that guy who had who showed up with the balls and took off? He goes, oh, that was Sunil Galati, vice president of U.S. soccer. I was like, what? <laughs> vice president of U.S. soccer showing up with training practice balls out of like some banged up Toyota? It's crazy. Wow. That's and crazy. unbelievable. I don't think – and honestly, I, I was writing this. You know, I don't think 30 years is a long time when you talk, you know, talk about the development of a, you know, soccer country. And that's really a generation. That's like, you know, that's like, Peter, you and I are close to the same age. And, right. you know, generationally, like our kids are, 
my kids are that age at the same age as a lot of the players in the US national team now. So like we're only talking about one generation. At that, at that time, you're 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 dealing with pulling soccer balls out of trunks and you know <laughs> and just and dealing with you know not having enough uniforms for both teams that you have to share. Like that's remarkable to be to see where the program has come now. And yet on this it's unbelievable the expectations that some people have for the United States men's national team right now. I mean, I, granted it, they are on the stage and they've been competing for the high, extremely high level for 25 plus years. But at the same time, you know, John and Peter, I want to ask you this question. What do you, what do you say to people who, you know, who think, well, you know what, we're tired, sick and tired of the same old, you know, they, I mean, they came up short in 18, you know, here we go again. Uh, you can't beat. Well, you know, we're, you know, thirty-five thousand. Uh, I don't know, whatever. Three hundred and fifty times the size of country of Wales, and we can only tie them. We hear that all the time, and it and it gets a. It's like, but developmentally, as a soccer nation, we're still in our even. I mean, obviously, the women—that's a totally different story. But we're in the men's national level, where you're a hundred plus years behind all these other countries. Yes. We're still in the infancy stages. At least that's the way I see it. But I would love to know both of your yeah. perspectives. I'll go first and I'll hope, hopefully be uh, succinct this time. Um, I think it, it's like a lot of things in life. Your biggest strength is your biggest weakness and vice versa. I mean, I think that our country, if we just picked a team from Florida for the last 20 years, we could be just as competitive. Picked a team from California, just as competitive. We have such a big country. Um, you know, and, and we're, we come from a very wealthy country. So guys that have, I can name 50 guys that should have had the opportunities I had, but they went, you know, went to UCLA or went to, you know, Duke. And they're like, after a couple of years of trying to play soccer, they're like, listen, I, I'm going to work on wall street. And that's not the case of, of a lot of these other countries where guys, you'll see so many players. I mean, you can read stories about players on the Brazil team now where, you know, they've been struggling for 10, 15 years and they have nothing to go back to. So we come from a wealthy country, a large country with many opportunities in life beyond soccer. So I think that the best way I would come back to everybody, you know, my response to everyone would be is that it's not has nothing to do at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with money. It's really just the culture and the love of the sport. And the guys that I played with, I think that what we need to get back to a little bit more of is ever all the guys I play with, like myself, they're first generation Americans. John's a first generation American. We were all immigrant sons of immigrants. John, Peter Vermees, his dad's from Hungary, Harksy, Scotland, Tab, Uruguay, Mike Windischman, Germany, John, obviously Poland. My dad was Irish. So we had, you know, we need to go a little bit back more to that cultural connection that we have um, in those parts of the country where soccer <laughs> is king. You know, there are parts of New York and New Jersey. You'll find these pockets. And I just think that these pockets are getting bigger. As far as the U.S. team right now, I think the main thing is they just need to go out and play. I think there's too much talk about politics. And I think there's too much talk about formations and there's too much emphasis on tattoos and hairdos. And I mean, Weston McKenney's hairdo. I mean, you just can't be doing things like that. I don't think it's my personal opinion. You need to focus on the games and, and we can be successful. We can play, we can do, we can do well. No one's, we can beat England, but we need to just, I think that my comeback to everybody is that, is that our expectations are to be number one with the USA. We're number one in everything. But um, I think that you would say now that there's not a time when we can't step on the field and, and really win. John pulled miracles when he was coaching. And, you know, he was able to get the most out of players that, you know, that, that had talent but just didn't have a lot of coaching before that. And now we've got everything. We've got MLS. I mean, every MLS owner is a billionaire. They're billionaires, all of them. And all these MLS teams are now building $50 million training facilities. You go to Inter Miami's training facility – I've been to a lot of the ones in Europe. It's better than all of them. It's better than Milan, Inter Milan, Roma, Juventus. I mean, it's better than all of them. So the excuses go away. What do you think, John? Well, uh, I was going to say we are no longer in our infancy. Uh, you know, that kind of passed uh, somewhere between 1970s and uh, 2000s. Okay. And then in 96, when... Uh, MLS started and kind of a post NASL, post MISL, uh, the steps and formation for new modern uh, soccer started taking place. And uh, yeah, the league almost folded, but uh, 
because of the billionaires and uh, Phil Anschutz, specifically speaking, funded the league and uh, Mr. Hunt, uh, who owned uh, Dallas, Kansas City and uh, Columbus, uh, they were able to fund the team, uh, the, the, the league, and the league survived and gradually uh, for the past uh, 20 years, which is second and, uh, and third generation of seven ideas, two World Cups, next generation, two uh, uh, two World Cups. So every eight years or say, you can say in a soccer terminology, a generation of players. So now we kind of in a third generation and uh, uh, these players, you know, have all the tools that they develop in the United States. Some of them got picked up at the younger age uh, to play in Europe. Some of them are still playing in uh, MLS. And uh, I think we have uh, uh, quite uh, experience, uh, uh, quite a bit of experience and uh, experienced players. Uh, maybe new a little bit to the World Cup, okay, to actually participate. But uh, uh, you know the uh, the clubs that they're playing for, uh, the ownerships, the organizations, everything that was uh, developed uh, during the last twenty four twenty five years. Uh, uh, so we are no longer in the infancy. And just going back to something what Peter, you were talking about earlier, the uh, festivals uh, and how the teams were picked in the old days. And we are kind of, we are country, but we are really a continent. Okay. And in order to be the whole continent, the whole country to be represented, you kind of have to make the state Olympic development team. From the state, you have to make the regional team, get picked to the regional team. So the, the three regions, we are in a, a region one, which is the northeast region. And then if you were good enough, then you will, uh, got picked for the regional team to go to the sport festivals. And uh, California was in region four. South was in region uh, three. Midwest uh, was in region uh, two. <clears throat> so everything got kind of uh, uh, organized. So there was a little bit of a pyramid structure. And that's how players, the national players, got identified at the younger age of uh, 15, 16, under 18, under 19. Then they changed the World Cup to under 20. So uh, these days are much different now with the training facilities and the sports academies that all the MLS teams and the money that is uh, pumped in. And, uh, you know, but there's, you know, also where the money is coming from. A uh, lot more interest on television. A lot more people, uh, kids, you know, participating. A uh, lot more marketing uh, uh, dollars involved. A lot more uniforms are being sold. Uh, I was always a big proponent of uh, uh, <clears throat> developing new soccer grants and facilities. Once we have those kids, will play. <clears throat> and we develop uh, tremendous amounts of uh uh, uh, soccer-specific facilities all over the country. So we went through a big transition from the days that you were talking about the sport festivals, how the players are being developed and what kind of players are being produced these days. It, it's It's been a remarkable transition uh, in terms of, I think we're still trying to keep up with everything and, and, and really streamline it in a way that works. I think we're still trying to figure all that out. But you know, identifying talent and, and all of mm -hmm. that and, and, and getting the right players in place. And, you know, one thing that this week, a lot of people critical, you know, of, of Coach Burhalter, uh, it's it goes with the territory and the pressure of the job, I'm sure. But, uh, mm -hmm. John, is there anything what have what have been your uh, what have been your impression with how this team was selected and and how they were utilized in the last match uh, against Wales. You know, actually, we came out, I think, pretty well. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, uh, 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 you know, played pretty well. We could have won the game. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't for that throw-in that we uh, a little bit, uh, you know, just kind of uh, uh, snoozed a little bit or something, you know, just, and that uh, throw-in led to a, a dribble pass, and a uh, foul for the penalty kick for the tying goal. Okay, otherwise we played very respectable, uh, and uh, uh, I think the uh, lineup uh, was uh, actually pretty good. You know, from the, uh, uh, the big roster to the final eleven players, in every single position we had an experienced player. Not mm -hmm. <laughs> meaning that we don't have a few more players and a few more uh, cards to uh, to work with. Uh, but uh, uh, I thought, you know, that uh, uh, 
Uh, Greg uh, Bohalter at the end did a pretty good job. However, the process of getting there, he tried out so many different players, and I think he should have settled closer to the final team a little bit earlier. And those games against Saudi Arabia and against uh, Japan, mm-hmm. which were two big winners yesterday and today, okay, and we got uh, you know kind of crushed by them uh, in the preparation games. Uh, I think I, we should have come out with a little bit stronger roster for those games, and that would have been a better measuring stick. And I think not a measuring stick. How we doing? It's uh, it's going to be uh, now on Friday against England. And going back to my level of coaching, and you know what the moniker, you know, right now everybody's we believe that we can win. Actually, in the '89 team, I was preaching, you know, you have to believe that we can win. We have to believe, you know, that we can win. And going back to my ethnic background and their coaching and ethnic teams, which were very, very good at that time, and a lot of first division players, let's say for like Vasco da Gama in Bridgeport, there were a Brazilian first division, Portuguese first division players. And at the end, you know, those players kind of have one head, you know, two arms, two legs, uh, two eyes, one heart, and then really not that much difference than the American players, mm-hmm. except a little bit uh, in skills and a little bit in a, uh, a mindset. And uh, we just needed to change our mindset and uh, realize that those are not like uh, you know people out of space that are you know this is a you know players that we can beat. So we have to believe that we can win. And I think if we can believe that uh, we can qualify for the next round, uh, US uh, uh, has potential with the talent that we have over there, uh, maybe to surprise uh, England. Okay, and uh, I certainly feel that uh, we should have an advantage to beat uh, Iran. And maybe with the three points, uh, maybe with four points, uh, we should be able to get into the next round, to the knockout round. But we have to believe we can win. Got to believe you can win, absolutely. And uh, belief is the first starting point. Peter, um, (laughs) what what are your thoughts? I I think Greg, and I know Greg, I'm friends with Greg, just like John. We're all, you know, all of us know each other pretty well. And, um, you know, everyone's sort of in the soccer world, let's say. Um, over the years and he's a good guy um, obviously he was a tough player he succeeded a lot he was on the 2002 team and at that I'd stopped when I retired from playing I got a job with Adidas and I was the Adidas soccer guy for um, professional soccer so MLS the national team player so I was around that 2002 team a lot and got to know Greg I'm good friends with Joe Max Moore and um, and Joe and Greg are, are close friends and I think the one thing Greg needs to do is he, he's too concerned with how the team's going to play, right? He's too, he wants to emulate Pep Guardiola, let's say, in a way, as far as controlling the game uh, through possession on all, you know, throughout all parts, of the, all parts of the field, throughout all phases of the game. And I think in a tournament format, I know I learned this from John. And John, and you'll talk to Tab or Peter Vermees or any of those guys, they'll say, John, that was the most fun they ever had playing because John gave me the confidence to make mistakes in the game. And and not and and the freedom to play, and I think that Greg needs to give those guys freedom to play. I think Christian Pulisic looks like he's thinking too much out there, and I think that a lot of the guys they look like they're they're trying to you know they're fifty percent looking over Greg like is this how you want us to play versus just playing. Um, I think that I change the formation. I wouldn't play four three three. I think that you play four three three if you're Dutch or you're Barcelona, but everybody else should. I think that we need to play. Um, Pulisic as a as a nine and a half, uh, like in Italy they call him a tre cortista. So a guy that plays underneath the central striker but has the freedom to to roam horizontally uh, in a central position, a central attacking position, because then he can contribute and combine with a lot of the players. If you stick him out wide, he's really stuck out there, and I think he's the one player that can unlock unlock. You know, he plays in England and he can unlock make he can shake one or two players and create something for us. So. I think he just needs to let the players play at this point. And I agree with John that the team seemed pretty unsettled um, until now. But, I mean, I, I haven't looked at the standings. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. But I think that if you win one game and tie one game, you go through, unless it becomes a goal differential situation. So um, Wales is not a good team. I wouldn't be surprised if Iran beats Wales. Um, that's what we want. Um, and I think we're going to beat Iran, Iran not Iran. Um like Landon, I ran. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that's what's going to happen. I think we're going to finish second. I think we're going to tie England and beat Iran. Iran, And then I think uh, in the next group, who would that be? Would that be Holland we'd play? I think. I believe it would be from group A, 
that the uh, Qatar group, um, I'm sorry, I can't think of who else is in that group, but who would be the first or the second place team in the Qatar group? So, that so would, Ecuador. That would Ecuador. be Ecuador. Right. Potentially Ecuador, potentially um, the Netherlands. Um, and yeah, that group. And I'm trying to think who uh, who the, the fourth team is in that group. But yeah. yeah. The, the only other thing I'd add is I think that our best player is Gio Reyna. And I think that yeah. Gio needs to play as a 10. So the way I would do, I would play old John's old. John played this way. And this is the four, classic 4 4 2 with the diamond. And I would have Gio as the, as the playmaker and, and Christian as the, with, as the second forward. And I think we'd control the middle of the field a little bit better that way. And I think that we'd, we'd, we'd be more compact. We wouldn't be so spread out. Because I think that against England, it's ironic. Against Wales, we were the team that was trying to make the game happen. And I think against England, it's going to be the reverse, that we're going to be like Wales. We're going to sit back and we're going to try to counter them. And I think that we'd be much more effective in that kind of formation. But if I know the answer, we'd all be on DraftKings. That's right. <laughs> well, look, guys, I um... – I, we could go on all day. I want to do this again in terms of especially looking back um, at the times that you your experiences with the U.S. men's national team. I feel like we have so much more to unravel. John, you you know, I, uh, Peter, you talked about hairdos and I was thinking, John, I'd ask John about Valderrama's. You know, he had to coach that hairdo. So, I mean, you know, if he can do that, I think Greg can handle um McKinney's uh his little his little uh, red white blue uh there's a little bit different eh, there's a little <laughs> bit difference in level of play there well there you go <laughs> uh for sure but um guys I you know what I in the interest of time we got to uh, cut it short but uh, I do I just want to thank you I can't thank you enough and looking forward to seeing you in person uh hopefully at the getaway bar and grill uh Friday United States uh versus England uh it's 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 going to be a, I, I hope I am so hoping and that it's going to be a great match and that we'll have a lot to get excited about. And we can tease our English friends, um, which I know I have a few um, as the match goes on and uh, be a lot of good banter back and forth. Um, John, I'm Irish. Come on, man. I don't want, uh, I, I don't want, I don't want England to win in tiddlywinks, man. That's so. that's, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. But again, I appreciate both of you coming on. Thanks uh, both of you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. John's right, the thanks, best. Peter. Both Johns. Thank you guys. Thanks. Take care, okay. and, and we'll talk Thanks. soon. Hopefully, see you on Friday. Great. All right. All right, we're back on Sounding Off on Soccer. John Krasinski here at Pittsburgh Soccer Now. With me uh, is someone who I've known for quite some time. Uh, I, I would call him a friend, but maybe on Friday a foe. Uh, but I do want to I do want to point out that James Mira, who uh, right currently right now in Pittsburgh, uh, is the director at the Academy East uh, for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, academy um but james you hold a united states coaching license that correct i do have one of those yes i got yes my, like, so i wanted to point uh, that yes, out before we, go, before we go any further uh you are, you are so just 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 pointing that out but that being said my friend james mira uh everyone uh is uh, joining me here for this uh part of this Sounding off on soccer, James. Happy uh, Thanksgiving Eve to you, John. Cheers. Uh, I will get there. Uh, it's we're real close to Thanksgiving, uh, celebrating this wonderful American holiday. Uh, we're very, very happy to um, give thanks for everything we have, and um, we are certainly blessed. But anyway, well, let's let's just talk about it. U.S. versus England. We've been waiting for this since the schedule came out. Probably we've been waiting for this since 2010, when of course things didn't go the way I think England really thought it would go. Um, but James, uh, what is your, let's, before we talk about breaking down things down technically and all that kind of stuff, what's your emotion heading into this uh, uh, as a feeling um, heading into this uh, matchup between the U S and England. And I will just go ahead and tell me that. And then I'll give uh, some of our listeners some more background on, or you can tell yeah, us. More I mean, background. I mean, obviously very excited. I mean, when again, when the, the, the schedule came out, it was almost like amazing. Two o'clock on uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. So as a nation, you know, in America, everybody's off. Like this could be amazing to like boost the like um, the, you know, the soccer world in America, which has been great. And I, I came over in 2002 and I've seen it grow unbelievably. I was like, this is amazing to drop this in, you know, four years before America is going to be, 
you know, rocking some like World Cup games. This is fantastic. So, you know, because people like to go out on that Friday and just relax, have a few drinks. They're like, what's going on here? Oh, there's a soccer game. Oh, it's America v. England. Why is it so busy in this bar? So I think that was perfect. I love that. Um, yeah, excited about it. Um, I think America, like, I mean, before the tournament, some wonderful young players and just enthusiasm. And we saw that in the opening game. That first half against Wales was unbelievable. I mean, absolutely dominated dominated in the second half it kind of evened out a bit but I mean it wasn't you know Wales running the show I mean so close to hanging on but I, I had I had America winning against Wales to be honest so I think it's nicely kind of set up and if America can come out of that with a point that's that's a long that's a that's a I think that's a big step when you get into that second place and getting onto the next rounds. Do you think <laughs> talking about the U.S. Wales do you think that the U.S. should have maybe kept the foot on the pedal uh, on the gas pedal a little bit more or was it a matter of Wales tactically saying wait a second we should be attacking the U.S. why are we sitting back uh, because they have granted they may not have the attacking players that the U.S. has but they have some assets and they use those in the second half yeah I think it's I mean to go that full throttle for 90 minutes is tough Man, you're talking about World Cup. I don't care if you're talking about a local game ring. To ask players to close down and like hustle as much as they did, that's that's a tough ask. You have to have like a deep bench that you can throw on that those extra guys that keep that kind of tempo up. And I think in the England game you saw in Iran, I mean everyone's getting excited about England. Iran are a poor team. You know, you look at the some of the other um, you know, Tunisia and some other teams, obviously Saudi Arabia hung in there for the first time. There's some upsets going on, but uh, Iran don't seem like a great team. So I don't get too carried away with that first game. But um, I think England has the depth that if they want to pursue and pressure and go, and then they can send on four or five players that are the same standard, that's that's a good recipe to be winning something, right? Like, does, does America have four or five players they can put on to stay at that same level? That's probably the question I ask. And absolutely. And you look at the um, the United States, people were wondering what happened to Gio Reyna? Where was he? He wasn't even on the field for the Wales game. So maybe Greg Berhalter's holding Gio Reyna for this to start, maybe as the 10 in the, in the middle there, uh, maybe the, the – hopefully hang with the English midfield, but uh, that type of thing. But yeah, I mean, it, the U S I think it's, I think they're still learning a lot about themselves, but England, on the other hand, you know, against Iran, what were your impression of, is this what you expected? Did you expect the six goal turnout? Uh, I didn't, or, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect it to be as easy. Like the opening game of tournaments typically on that one sided um, Spain today, obviously, um, kind of did their job but you don't typically see that and that's why there's so many surprises so far right um I think like with the American team that attacking midfield area is kind of like I mean it's kind of loaded with some decent talent so that's like one of the benefits they can stick somebody on like him and maintain the pressure and and, and keep um pressuring teams and I think you know England's weakness is their defense I mean I think everybody knows that Watch the Belgium game today. Um, some decent, like some big names, but older names. And Canada would like tore them apart in the first half, and they were one nothing down at half time. So I think the the adages of sitting back and just soaking up pressure. I've seen I've seen a bit of a turn of events in this World Cup where teams that are not favoured are now going at the weakness. And I think if America can go with their front three, front f front four, with their speed and agility, mm -hmm. as we saw in the goal against Wales, I think they have to do that. England or any good team, you don't want to sit back and wait for them to go one up and then have to go and score two goals. I think you have to get at them. And again, watching Canada today, first half was amazing. Again, that, soccer's like so, it's the most wonderful game in the world because, you know, Canadians were absolutely amazing the first half, one nothing down at halftime. I mean, that's what makes the game the game. It's like, that's what happens. But I think America has to go at England's back four and give them a good run for their money. And do you see that being on the counter? I mean, is it getting into those transitional opportunities into space or do you think they can, they can kind of 
play the, think, you know, even the, the possession battle. I, I think I think you go toe for toe to start. I think the Canadians did that amazingly today and caught the, the Belgians out. Um because again, if you go, if you drop deep and you go, we're gonna hold this line, I'm gonna do this, if you go one nothing down early, then it's an uphill battle. Yeah. It looks like the trend of this World Cup, you know, you go at you go at the good teams and see what happens, right? And if you get that early goal, then you, that dictates the rest of the game. But I think America should go for it. I think America have to go our back four. That's our weakness. Why drop back and let the best part of our game go at you when you can maybe get after us? James, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump off for a quick second here and just mention to our listeners that, um, you know, again, you are a native of England. You were born in Hammersmith, West London, uh, of course. And around the age of 10, you joined Watford's Academy uh, and were part of that, uh, you know, organization. And um, you were involved in a squad that won the FA Youth Cup in 1989, beating Man City in the final. Um, and of course, you were offered a two-time, two-year uh full-time academy player position with Watford, which, so you were part of the Watford program. Um, you made your professional debut with the Tranmere Rovers FC in 1992-93 season. Uh, and then you also played with Doncaster Rovers um, and semi-pro in England. And then of course, in 20, uh, 2002, some around the time I, I first met you, uh, you moved here uh, to America and you got involved. First, you got involved as a regional director at MLS Camps. Uh, but then you came to Pittsburgh, uh, you got involved with coaching and uh, you've been at the high, a number of different uh, positions in the area. Um, so, you know, just just wanted to make sure our, our listeners understood um, yeah, your roots, yeah, your mean, roots yeah. in the game. I was blessed. I mean, I was blessed that, you know, I joined Watford when I was 10 years old and I left when I was 24. So went through the academy and unbelievably part of the FA Cup uh, winning side Um we had David James in goal, went on to be an England goalie, so that might have helped a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, I didn't set the world on fire, but I had six years in the game, played with some amazing players, some amazing coaches. So, you know, you got to just build your kind of knowledge off of that to kind of pass on um, when you get um, out of your playing day. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's something that's uh, close to my heart and, you know, um, it's been uh, it's been good to me. And you are definitely a wealth of knowledge. I found myself, you know, working with you as an assistant coach and you were the head coach. And, um, you know, if I went from being a head coach to assistant coach, it was one of the probably one of the best things that ever happened for me because of my, I, you know, making that commitment of being a head coach, everything else I had going on in my life. But to be able to be on the sidelines and 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 to be in training and to pick your brain and to learn and see you manage a training session uh and and to be part of that i i am just grateful for learning a lot from you and um yeah i appreciate that john i mean it was great those those like high school years were amazing with you and again i think you know a any good coach never stops learning so again i learn from you i pick things up from everybody along my journey and uh yeah they were they were they were fun times and uh it's great to see you where you are now in Pittsburgh. I think you were on the forefront of the soccer before soccer wasn't kind of cool and you're still there doing your thing. And uh, no, it's great to see you uh, where you should be. Well, you know, you got all these mainstream media guys out there just going off about all the things that they know about soccer right now in, uh, in the United States and uh, here in Pittsburgh. It's just been an interesting week or so of that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know what? We just, we just kind of roll with the punches, don't we, James? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Pittsburgh isn't like one of the sexy destinations for soccer, but um, me and you were in there 20 years ago doing our thing. So uh, we're still here. Absolutely. But all right. So let's talk. So let's talk about England. Let's talk about what, you know, if you're a United States uh, soccer fan, you're watching, getting ready to watch the game tomorrow. What, uh, you know, what, what are the U.S. fans? What are you looking for from this England team? What, what, who's, who do, who should we watch out for? I mean, there's obviously is, is some the game tomorrow. Is the game is the game tomorrow? tomorrow? Yes. When's the game? Tomorrow. Two o'clock. I thought it was on Friday. I thought it was on Friday. I'm sorry. Tomorrow. Oh, I'm sorry. We're I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited. I, I just want tomorrow. I want the game to be it's here. Just about to have to call thirty people and get them to another place. 
Forget about thir- forget about Thanksgiving. I just want the game to be here. No. Um, yeah, why not the NFL? Not, not even worried about the NFL tomorrow. Yeah, forget so about the, the Giants and Cowboys, right? I can't uh, believe Well, that. I mean, I know you're Giants. I mean, you might be watching that. <laughs> I got to bring- be brought back to reality here. Um, I know. It's been a crazy yeah. week. No, but Friday. I mean, just what the U.S. fans? What should what should we expect from this England team? And who do you who? Yeah, who should we be looking out for and that sort of thing? If American, if American get the point, it's a great. That's a great point. That's a great point. And then you go in. You got to play Iran. You'd 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 hope that they beat Iran. That's five points. Um, that might get you in. That might get you in, and I think they deserve it. Honestly, off the the Wales game was the big game for me. That was the game. Like um, whoever wins that is in definitely pole position. And I'm saying for going second. I don't know if if England blow up for some reason, but even watching England in the first game, they do look pretty good. So again, I, I'm not I'm English, but I'm honest. Uh, I thought England looked really good going forward. Um, again, I'm not sure that there's there's tougher tests to come, but I think if American can come out on the front foot, get an early goal, hope England aren't on their best, get a little bit of luck, somebody like you know, like sprinklings of ingredients you need um, to upset somebody, right? And we've seen that. Like we go back to high school, we've we've seen it. It's no different on the big stage. There are sprinklings of things that need to happen for an underdog to be. The, the favorite in a soccer game. Um, Saudi Arabia, Argentina could have been four, five, nothing up, offside, 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 right? So there is, there's that little, you need this. There's a little sprinkling and just a little mixture going on. It needs to come. Now, if England are on the game and America are on the game, England probably win the game. So there are things that need to happen. But I believe, like, I, I believe that America could have been Wales and I still believe they, they really should have on the day. But there is a chance that American come out of the game with a tie, no doubt. So, what do you you think in terms of attacking both sides? It sounds like from your perspective, both sides are pretty strong on the attacking side. But the U.S., I think that's one thing. And Wales, when Wales finally looked like they were they wanted to get forward, and U.S. showed you know they were a little bit vulnerable defensively, um, you know, making a mistake like Zimmerman made. Um, you know, I thought. I really thought Matt Turner was outstanding and thought he's going to have to be up to the task against England. Uh, so it, it could, I mean, could this potentially be a real open-ended, I mean, England play already played an eight goal game. I mean, we, does England just, like you said, you have your concerns about their, their def- defending. Um, is this potentially could be a high scoring affair? Yeah. I mean, I think, Again, America have to go. They have to go England. They have to go England. Don't sit back and and wait for them to score and then have to score two. That's a, a one or two. I mean, that's I think it's, that's tough. I think you have like you know Adams McKinney sitting in there. I, I I mean I rate those two. I think they're fantastic defensive mids. I think the back four are amazing. I think Zimmerman's a good player. Just that rash tackle was the difference, right? It's just turning points in games. Um, but yeah, I think. For America, it'll, it, it has to be almost like that basketball. You know, you have a chance, we have a chance. You go, we go, we score, you don't, we get. It, I, I just don't think for 90 minutes you can sit back. I don't think you can play the drawers of the Americans. I think you have enough talent. We're Sergeant Pulisic going forward. Like, why would you not use those players and take advantage of what you have? And I'm going to take inventory of what you just said, because I think that'll be interesting to see if, if the U.S. is tentative and they are not on the front foot, then uh, that might be something of concern. And think looking forward to this matchup uh, will I, I, I just I think for all for everyone involved, I think it would be fun if it was a little bit more up and down and ever, both sides are really going after each other. So. James, any final thoughts on this matchup? Uh, and uh, what, do, what do you think? Uh, do you have a prediction or no? I'm, I'm going to I'm going to predict a you know a two nothing England win. Right. That's but that's what my head's thinking. But I think it can be a one one. I think it can be a one one. Right. So if America score early and then maybe sit back, change your tactics up a little bit. And, the draw is the draw is a fantastic result to go and play Iran in the last game because England Wales who knows what's going 
Wales can beat England. I mean, that's that's a rivalry that goes on forever. So if you have the edge before the England-Wales game, that's a good place to be. So I'd love to see America obviously qualify. I think it's great for the country. I know it's great for the country. Um, and um, I love the youth and the enthusiasm, the energy, and I hope that's the way it goes. All right, James, and I, I appreciate your enthusiasm and energy and, and contributing to this podcast today. And I, I think this is going to be, we'll have you back. I, I have a feeling we'll have you back. We'll talk more soccer. We're coming I, out I Tuesday. Love, I'm coming out love, Tuesday to see you. I'm coming out Tuesday to see you. All right. See so you we'll see it. Absolutely. Uh, and again, just a, re a reminder to everyone uh, listening, you know, the gate, the getaway uh, bar and grill over in, on Sussex Avenue in Brookline is the place to be for Pittsburgh soccer now. Uh, and we are, you know, it's a great place viewing uh, parties for the United States men's national team. Uh, it should be a lot of fun on Friday, should be fun on Tuesday. And hopefully for the United States sake, it goes on further than that. But James, thank you for joining me. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun and always great to chat with you about soccer and everything. Always a pleasure, John. All right. Thanks.